Nation has the Disaster Response Ministry, so uh, I'm partly here to raise awareness that we have this ministry reaching folks with the gospel, uh, coming in at a time when people uh, need help the most. And so uh, we'll be talking with you all more in the future about how you can get involved in our ministry. But love to talk to you more after. I have a newsletter if you want to uh, pray for us and keep updated on what we're doing. You can sign up for that. There's also some stickers and some things for the kids and for the big kids. So uh, stop by afterwards. I'd love to talk to you more about that. Uh, just a little bit about myself. Uh, I have served as a youth pastor, an assistant pastor, associate pastor, senior pastor. So I've done it all in the church. Uh, I've also been a general contractor. And so this position has kind of brought uh, both of my passions together for ministry uh, and ministry in the context of helping folks uh, sometimes rebuild their homes, uh, but many times rebuilding their lives after a disaster. So it's a privilege to be here. Uh, my wife, Julie, and I have been married for uh, 32 years. We have uh, two children and one grandson and one on the way. So uh, we've got a growing family, and uh, my wife is unable to be with me this weekend, uh, but hopefully at some point you'll get to meet her. Well, last year... Um, God called me out of the senior pastor position at First Pres in Stanley. Uh, some of you are familiar with that church. I am in, uh, it's in this presbytery, and so Hudson and I uh, go way back, serving on the missions committee together. And so God called me out of that uh, into this ministry. And one of the things that we, that we have in our ministry is a couple warehouses. We have one in Georgia, Rome, Georgia, and then we have one in Dallas. Now the, the depot, the uh, warehouse in Dallas is called the John Brown Family Disaster Response Center. John Brown was a, a teaching elder in our denomination who began the Sheds of Hope ministry, uh, and I can tell you if you're interested more about that. Uh, but Several years ago, he passed away, and so they named this center after him. Now, this warehouse in the middle of Dallas, Texas, uh, is provided by some businessmen. Uh, they have donated this warehouse free of charge to our ministry to use for storing equipment to be used in the time of a disaster response. Uh, these men uh, have given generously. So this building is free to us. But it's not free. Uh, it costs these businessmen to maintain it to what they could be renting it for. Uh, so it is costly for them, uh, but free to us. Uh, as we consider God's word today in this passage that has been read, we will come to understand an important principle. That mercy should be generously given. That is obvious in this parable. Uh, it should be generously extended to those in need no matter what the cost, no matter what the cost to us. Uh, we hear in this passage, we read an exchange between Jesus and a lawyer. And what did it say? The lawyer came to put him to the test. Uh, he was going to see if he could corner Jesus and get him to ask, uh, to, to ask a hard question and, and stump Jesus. Uh, but Jesus challenges this young lawyer to consider what the cost of mercy, what the cost of loving Jesus is. And today, Jesus is challenging us through this passage. Uh, what is the cost of mercy, and are we willing to pay that cost? 
And so, uh, Max, if you put up that uh, outline, I'm going to just give you a brief overview of where we're heading. So we're going to be looking at different costs, the cost of following Jesus, the cost for the religious leaders in our story, the cost for the Samaritan, uh, the cost of mercy uh, that Jesus himself paid, and what is the cost of mercy for us. So that gives you just a little bit of uh, idea of the things that we'll be looking at here for the next few minutes. So first, the cost we encounter is the cost of following Jesus. In verse 25, a lawyer stands up and asks this opening question, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus, as he many times does, turns it and responds with the question, well, what is written in the law? And the lawyer, who knows the law, answers by quoting what Jesus calls, uh, it's called the Shema in the Jewish faith. The Shema is a famous verse that they would quote over and over. Shema means to hear. So it's hear, O Israel. And what is this greatest of all commandments? You've all heard it before. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus gives this follow-up challenge. Do this and you will live. Easy to say, right? Do this. Love the Lord your God. You know, that's easy to say. Love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, but to do it, that's something that we are all challenged with and something that we all uh, are challenged throughout our lives. No matter uh, how much we grow, we still have more room to grow in this area. Now, when I was a youth pastor uh, back in Pennsylvania, uh, one of the things that I was in charge of was uh, a camp, a day camp that we ran at our church called Summer's Best Two Weeks. And so during this two-week camp, uh, at the end, we had this big award ceremony. And we would give out awards for, you know, the best athlete, the most artistic, uh, and different awards like that to different uh, kids. But the top award, the most coveted award, the one we made the biggest deal about was called the I Am Third Award. The I Am Third. And it was given to the camper who exemplified uh, love for, for God and love for others. And was that camper that would go out of his way to serve, uh, to be kind, to help out. And so we really wanted to put an emphasis on the fact of this. And this was the slogan of the camp. And maybe you've heard something similar to this. God first, other second, and I am third. Right. Now you're getting the idea. So this is what Jesus is challenging the lawyer with. Uh, you know, are you, are you loving God first? Are you loving your neighbor? Uh, and then after that uh, comes your own needs and your own desires and wants. So this is the cost of following Jesus. We put God and we put others before ourselves. And again, it's easy to say, hard to do. Because we are all self-centered. That's how we're born. Uh, we're thinking about ourselves. Even when we think we're unselfish, uh, it creeps in, and we find that our focus, generally, we're thinking about ourselves. If you think about, who do you think about most in your life? It's yourself most of the time. You're thinking about your own uh, concerns, what you have in front of you, and this is just our human nature. Uh, but Paul writes in Philippians 2, in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Uh, let each of you look not only to his own interests, 
but also to the interests of others. In the previous chapter, uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, in chapter 9, at the very end, uh, this is so. This is in the context of Scripture here, uh, right before chapter 10 that we are looking at. Uh, it, there's a, set, a heading, and it may be in your Bible, uh, in verse 57, the cost of following Jesus. There is a cost to follow Jesus, and he goes and, and outlines that, and we won't read it all, but he talks about how, you know, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Uh, and then at the end, he replies, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. And so really we find that the requirement is everything. The cost for following Jesus is that we give up everything, everything about who we are, uh, that we surrender to him, and we put our lives in his hands. And we, uh, we follow him, but it's at a cost. When you come to Christ, or if you haven't come to Christ, and someone tells you that believing in Jesus is easy, uh, that's not the case. Uh, it costs a lot to follow Jesus. It's hard. It requires sacrifice. Uh, but it is worth it, uh, for sure. We know that, and if you're a believer, you know that it's worth it. Uh, but there is a cost. And are we willing to pay that price? So I was thinking about this first portion of the passage and, you know, I considered, you know, should I just kind of skip over that and, you know, make the sermon shorter? And that might be nice for all of you, uh, but I realized that this is foundational to everything that we're going to say from here on out, that you follow the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, uh, and that you put your neighbor before yourself, uh, that there's a cost that comes with that. And it begins, first of all, with surrendering your heart and your life to Jesus, paying the price of your own interests so that you can follow him. And so this is the foundation on which this whole parable is built. So in verse 29, the lawyer, you know, he's wanting to make himself look good. It says in the passage, he wants to justify himself. So uh, he's trying to keep up with Jesus in this, in this exchange. And so he says with his follow-up, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus, instead of giving him this straightforward answer, he does as he often does, gives a parable. Uh, verse 30, we find the setting of the parable, this story that Jesus is telling, is on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. And this road was known as the Bloody Way. Uh, it was a 17-mile road. It descended 3,000 feet. It went through wild country. If you see pictures of it, it's just uh, rocks and places where uh, people can hide. And so it was known as a place where there were robbers and thieves that would come. And if you uh, were in the wrong place at the wrong time, you would get robbed. And so in this story... Jesus is referring to this, and those listening to him at that time would be able to envision this, this person walking down the road, these thieves jumping out uh, from behind the rocks and beating him up, taking all of his uh, money and leaving him for dead. So here he is, half dead, it says in the passage, half dead, uh, dying, the question really is, would anyone stop to help? So we see the first characters come along. 
And so we're going to consider the cost of mercy for these two religious figures. Uh, Jesus points out a priest and a Levite. This would be comparable to a pastor and an elder uh, in that time. So these were the spiritual people. These were the people that knew the Bible. They knew everything uh, that there was to know uh, about God, so to speak. And it says in verse 31 that not only did they pass by the man, but they went out of their way to cross over to, to stay as far away from him as possible. Now, it doesn't specify in the parable why they didn't stop. We can guess that if they had stopped uh, and touched this man, they would have become ceremonially unclean in that religion, in the Jewish religion, and then they wouldn't be able to fulfill their duties. So they had a pretty good excuse. Well, I can't serve God if I touch this person. And so they have uh, an excuse. Uh, maybe they were too busy. They had, uh, they had an appointment, and they were rushing to get to that. Have you ever been late for an appointment, and you're just trying to get there? You don't care who's in your way <laughs> or, or who has needs along the way? And so we just blow right past. So unfortunately... We're a lot more like these religious figures than, you know, we want to admit. We're prone to making excuses uh, when God is calling us to show mercy, to stop and help. Uh, not too long ago, I was driving. It was at night. It was rainy. Uh, I was coming home from a, a meeting, a missions meeting, where I was talking about our ministry. And I drove past this lady, and it was on a dark road. It was a country road, and she was, had her hazards on, and she was kind of pulled over on the side of the road. And it was one of those moments, and maybe I'm the only one that has had this happen, but my guess is there's some of you can relate to this. I drove past, and I saw her on her cell phone, and I thought, well, she's got a cell phone I'm sure she's okay. And so I'm riding down the road, and I'm making all these things. Well, I'm sure the police will be there any minute. Uh, you know, there wasn't a good place for me to pull over. You know, I don't want to cause an accident. So all these things going through my mind all the way home. And, you know, as I was thinking about that, you know, I was just making excuses. Uh, there was a prompting inside of me to stop. And I ignored it. And sometimes the Holy Spirit gives us those prompts, and we blow right past it. And so this is a challenge to me, and maybe you can relate uh, to that type of experience. Uh, we want to help if it's convenient, safe. I was in a big rush to get home. It was late. I had been gone. Uh, it wasn't convenient to stop. There's a cost of mercy. Uh, many times, even religious people like me uh, I'm not willing to pay that, that price that God is asking me to pay. Well, let's take a few minutes to look at the cost of mercy for the Samaritan. Now, in contrast to the religious leaders, the Samaritan understands, and he's willing to pay the cost. It says in verse 33 that he had compassion. He had compassion, which means he stopped. That, that was the first part. So what was the cost of the Samaritan? First, it was his own safety. What if the robbers were just around the corner and they jumped out and they robbed him? You know, it would be better to keep moving because obviously there were uh, thieves in the area. 
So putting aside his, his fear of being vulnerable to attack, he stops. Uh, mercy's not always safe. It's not always safe to show mercy. It comes at the cost of security. We have to go into places that sometimes are dangerous to show mercy. Well, second, the good Samaritan, he had to walk out of his comfort zone. You know, the priest and the Levite, they stayed in their comfort zone, you know, safe on the other side of the, of the street. Uh, but he had to go out of his comfort zone. Uh, to help this man, it would involve unpleasant sights, sounds, and smells. Uh, open wounds, bruised skin, uh, agonizing cries of someone in pain, the smell of sweat and dirt caked on bloody skin. Uh, out of his comfort zone to help. Despite all this, verse 34 indicates that the Samaritan, he bound up his wounds. He used oil, which would help relieve the pain. Wine, that would be an antiseptic uh, to help prevent infection. The cost of mercy means stopping. And it says that he even put the, the man on his own animal. So he had to walk now instead of being able to ride in comfort on his donkey or whatever animal he had, uh, he put the man on there and had to walk the rest of the way. He looked past the unpleasantness to the need. Say that again. He looked past the unpleasantness of the situation to the need. Have you ever looked at someone and it's kind of disgust you a little bit or they're dirty or smelly or, and you know, you're kind of, turned off by that. Uh, we have to go out of our comfort zones. Third, he gave of his time. This may be the hardest for us in our day and age. It was an in interruption to his plans. His family may have been waiting for him. Uh, he didn't have a cell phone to call them that he was going to get delayed. And so he put everything on hold to help this person in need. Mercy costs us precious hours out of our schedule. And sometimes that's the biggest cost of all. Fourth, there's a financial cost. Verse 35, he took the injured man to an inn. He paid for him to stay at the inn, and he promised, hey, I'm going to come back, and I'll pay whatever the cost is uh, for this man's lodging. Mercy costs money. Everything in our ministry, in disaster response ministry, uh, costs money. Uh, I am in a missionary position, so I have to raise my own support uh, so it costs money. Everything, all of our equipment is provided through donations of churches and individuals. Uh, so to show mercy, to have a disaster response ministry, it costs money. There's a financial cost. And finally, this act of mercy came at a cost to his pride. Uh, as you may know, the Samaritans and the Jews, they hated each other. So for the Samaritan to stop to help uh, his arch enemy required putting aside his pride. Jesus intentionally used the Samaritan as the hero of his parable. He does this to show that mercy sometimes means crossing racial lines, uh, social barriers, uh, divides that come between us to meet someone who is in need. The priest and the Levite, they were too holy. Uh, their pride kept them from showing mercy. It was a roadblock to mercy for them. And Jesus is showing us in this parable two lessons. First, that we are to give mercy generously, as the Samaritan did. He stopped, he helped, he paid, he was generous in his mercy. It wasn't just a, 
Oh, hey, are you okay? He was generous and poured out everything he had to help this man. The second point, so give mercy generously. The second is that mercy always comes at a cost. When we show mercy, it's going to cost us something. Uh, It's never free. Well, who would know better the cost of mercy than Jesus? So we're going to take a moment to consider the fact that Jesus is our good Samaritan. He's our good Samaritan. For in our sin, we are that half-dead person on the side of the road. We are the half-dead person, and Jesus stops and shows us mercy. And that's the power of the gospel. That's the message of the gospel. And in Ephesians, it, it, it shows this so clearly. But God, being rich in mercy, there's the word mercy, rich in mercy, he's very generous in mercy because of the grace, the great love with which he loves us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, we're half dead on the side of the road, he made us alive together with Christ. He lifted us up. He put us on his own animal to take us to get help. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This is this picture of the Good Samaritan. Jesus comes. He raises us up out of our half-dead condition in our trespasses, and he shows us mercy, and he puts us, and he takes us into his heavenly home, and he pays all the costs for us so that we can enjoy healing and wholeness and ultimately uh, eternal life with him. So what price did Jesus pay? We're going to go through quickly those same costs that we talked about with the Samaritan. First, Jesus gave up the safety of his heavenly home. Did you ever think about that? He gave up the safety of his heavenly home, and he subjected himself in heaven. You know, he was safe. He was secure. Nothing bad happened to Jesus in heaven. But he came to earth. He subjected himself to what? To abuse, torture, and ultimately death. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus came, gave up safety and security. Jesus left his comfort zone. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. In so doing, he left the purity. Think about heaven, how pure and beautiful it is in heaven. He gave all that up and he came. And if you can imagine from going to heaven where everything is perfect and and there is no sin, there is no, uh, there's nothing wrong in heaven, and to be thrown and thrust into the earth where it's unsanitary. Uh, there are offensive smells. Uh, have you ever smelled something bad? Uh, you know, there's lots of farms around here. You ever gone past a pig farm? You know, there are offensive smells. Or after you exercise, you know, there are lots of offensive smells in this world. Do you think about the fact that there's no offensive smells in heaven? So Jesus subjected himself to these offensive smells, unpleasant sights. Uh, the nastiness of sin and suffering in this world. Jesus left his comfort zone. Jesus gave up his time. We don't think about that. He stepped out of eternity. He entered time and space for us. But when the fullness of time had come, 
God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Uh, Jesus subject himself to mortality, where he would be born and where he would live and where he would die. Fourth, there was a financial cost. Jesus gave up the riches of heaven, where the streets are paved of gold, crystal sea. He was born into an impoverished family, family with no resources. He was placed in an animal feed trough in a stable. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, though he was rich, yet for your sake, what? He became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. It cost Jesus a lot. He was rich. He gave it all up. He became poor uh, to show us mercy. And finally, even though sinful pride did not exist in the heart of Jesus, we know that, the Bible says that though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. So he gave up, he gave up his position in heaven uh, as uh, sitting at the right hand of God the Father. He made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. Showing mercy uh, meant giving all that up, all those privileges to serve us. Now, showing sinners like us mercy came at a great cost for Jesus. That's the point. There's an old Steve Green song, Broken and Spilled Out. It captures the cost Jesus paid. It says this, And though you were perfect and holy, you gave up yourself willingly. You spared no expense for my pardon. You were used up and wasted for me. Jesus was used up and wasted for us to show us mercy. The price for, that Jesus paid for sinners like us, it was the costliest display of mercy. The Good Samaritan Gave up a lot. It cost him a lot to show mercy. But Jesus, it cost him everything. It was the costliest display in all of history. And this morning, I don't know where, I don't know most of you this morning, I don't know where you are spiritually, uh, but I want to encourage you that maybe you feel half dead. Maybe you don't feel like um, you understand why life is so hard and you're just kind of laying there waiting for someone to help you. And I'm here to share this morning that Jesus is the one. He's willing to come and to show you mercy, to lift you up out of your sin, out of the darkness, to give you hope, to give you life. And that's the hope of the gospel. And if you've never experienced that, I hope that you will. I hope that you will uh, talk to someone about that, one of the elders here, uh, or someone that you know that's a Christian, and, and find out, how you can receive mercy and how you can be lifted up and given eternal life. Well, Jesus ends by asking a concluding question, verse 36. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? The question now becomes personal. It's not about some abstract neighbor out there. It's about our own hearts. The, who the neighbor is is not the question really. It's Am I willing to be a merciful neighbor, whoever that neighbor is? So it brings us to our final consideration, what we'll close our time with, the cost of mercy for us. This is where the rubber hits the road. This is where, you know, I start to meddle a little bit. But I'm not meddling in your life alone. I'm meddling in my own, challenging myself uh, as I speak these words. So the answer proved is admitted by the lawyer. It's, it's the one who showed him mercy. 
that was the good neighbor, the one who showed him mercy. And then Jesus utters this profound and convicting statement. Go and do likewise. And so he's telling us this morning, go and do likewise. Show mercy uh, regardless of the cost. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. And so the challenge this morning is to think about what it means for us to, to live out lives of mercy. Now, our Christian faith is validated, it's demonstrated through mercy. And this is part of the... That's the intermission. <laughs> and we're back. <laughs> Wake up. We're almost done. We're coming down the home stretch here. Uh, but I want to end with this final challenge uh, that our faith is validated through when we show mercy. And our ministry uh, has power because we go out and we are not just speaking truth, we are living it out in our lives. And that's what this is all about. I noticed one of the core values of this church is mercy. Did you know that? You, you need to go on your website and look at your core values because uh, there's some good core values. But one of them uh, is mercy. And it says this, we believe, so this is what you all uh, are affirming, what you all believe as a church. We believe authentic mercy is a lifestyle more than a program of the church. Mercy is a disposition, a posture, a way of life. I think that's a good definition. Uh, one of the things that uh, I think about is what does this look like in a day-in, day-out basis? Uh, what does it look like for you? Uh, if you're in school uh, or you're playing in your neighborhood uh, with your friends and there's someone that's picking on someone else, uh, someone being bullied, or, or you know someone that's a little bit different, maybe they have uh, a physical uh, issue, uh, or they just act a little bit different, and other kids make fun of them. So even you who are younger, uh, teenagers or kids, uh, you can stand up, you can befriend someone maybe who doesn't have friends, and this is a way that you can show mercy to someone, uh, to someone who needs it most. Uh, maybe you're at work, and a co-worker needs some help, and you're like, oh, it's going to mean I'm a little bit late getting home, but, you know, I'm going to help this coworker work through the problem, whatever it is. So these small ways, maybe uh, you have a neighbor. It's Saturday, you got all your plans, and your neighbor's out there struggling with a project. And you're like, oh, I don't have time for this. But then deep down, you know, hey, I need to go and, and help that neighbor. And so these are ways that we can, uh, in a practical way, reach out to those around us. Um, so one of the things that I challenge you to do this week is to uh, look for opportunities to show mercy. And the Holy Spirit's going to show you opportunities and bring people across your path. And if you feel that little urge, hey, maybe I should do something, don't do I, like I did. Don't ignore it. You know, pay attention. The Holy Spirit's prompting you. There's a need here, and you'll be amazed what happens. And uh, share those stories with me. Sign up and, or email me and, and let me know how God uses you. I know that he will. Uh, I did, just quickly, I just want to share a story about a training I did in Columbia. And a man there that was part of the training, uh, he was 
uh, before he became a believer, he went to a church. And the pastor was preaching on this passage in Luke 9 that we refer to, where it says the Son of Man had nowhere to lay his head. And through that service, this man became a Christian. So that's Sunday morning. He becomes a Christian because of this passage. The Son of Man had nowhere to lay his head. And he was so convicted that he went down the next day. He took his car down. He parked down. And he started to live among the homeless. This is within a day of becoming a believer. And he ends up buying a house, uh, setting up bedrooms for homeless people to come in. He sleeps on the couch. The people... You know, he's just making up this ministry as he goes. And now it's a full-fledged ministry to the homeless. Uh, now, God might not be calling you to do something that extreme, that, ex that uh, radical, but he is calling you to do something. Uh, he'll give you a unique way. You know, we're all gifted and designed in a different way. Uh, and no one in this room can say, oh, God can't use me, you know, I don't have any gifts. It's not true. God can use each and every one of us, no matter how small you are, how old you are, uh, to, no matter what gift you have, God can use you. Uh, there are people around you that need you, and you can help uh, in so many different ways. So let's not make excuses. Let's get out there and uh, serve our community. Uh, what is your passion? What is your calling? What do you, what do you enjoy doing? And in, in your normal day-to-day -day activities, God is going to provide opportunities for you, like the Good Samaritan, to stop and to help and to show mercy. Leon Morris, in his commentary, uh, says the Samaritan is the most attractive picture of a man who did more than a minimum. He saw a man in need and did all he could. So that's what my challenge this morning. Do more than just the minimum. Uh, Go out and seek to serve God and to be extravagant, to be generous in your mercy. The Samaritan showed mercy. It cost him a lot. Jesus showed mercy. It cost him everything. If we call ourselves Christians, we must listen to the words of Jesus. Go and do likewise. Show mercy no matter what the cost. And when you show mercy like Jesus did, you will find it's always worth the cost. You will be blessed, first of all. As you stop and help, you're going to be blessed. If you've been on a mission trip, we talked about this in Sunday school. If you've been on a mission trip, you know that you get blessed just as much as you are a blessing. But you will bless someone in need, you know, someone that, that no one else in the world knows has this need, but God has brought this person across your path. You know they have a need, and God is asking you to fill that need. And if you don't do it, who will? That person will be blessed, whoever you're helping. If we call ourselves believers, uh, we will show mercy. No matter what the cost, uh, no matter what it costs us, knowing that as we do, we are sharing the love of Christ with people in need. Let us pray. Father, I pray that we would all be reminded this morning that we were half-dead sinners on the side of the road with no hope. You stopped and you showed mercy to us. You raised us up. You have brought us into your kingdom. Father, I pray if there's someone who has not yet experienced that, 
that they would cry out to you uh, in their condition of feeling hopeless and lost, uh, that they would realize that you are the one that can show them mercy, that you are there to lift them up, to save them, that they would surrender their lives and their hearts to you. Lord, for all of us, I pray that we would be willing this week to show mercy to those in need. I pray that you would give us divine appointments this week, uh, unexpected appointments, and that our eyes would be open to the needs around us so that we might share the love of Christ and we might uh, honor and glorify you in our lives. So we thank you and praise you for this time that we've had to share together for your holy word. May it convict us. May we go from this place changed and ready to serve you in whatever way you ask us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.